this time, by far the greatest team, pre-season specials. Hello and welcome to By Far The Greatest Team, a podcast in which football fans attempt to decide once and for all who is the greatest football team of all time. My name's Graham Dunn and together with my fellow self-appointed arbiter of football greatness, Jamie Rooney, and our guests over the various weeks, we have covered over 13 dedicated podcasts and an end-of-season review. We've put 28 teams under the microscope of greatness. Each week, we place them into one of five primary categories of greatness, from all-time greats at the top through true, true greats to touch of greatness in the middle before dipping down to edge of greatness and our bottom of the tier category, blinkered greats. You can check out all the teams and our rankings so far at our website, chewingthewildrover.com. Do keep in touch, do keep listening to the back catalogue, and before we speak to you again for the prime season, Enjoy our pre-season friendlies. So for this week's bite-sized pre-season friendly, we're, we're looking, and quite aptly, uh, uh, given the start of the Women's World Cup today, we're looking at a classic women's team. And Jamie, this is sort of the first women's team to win the World Cup. It is, yeah. It's an unofficial tournament in 1970 in Italy, sponsored by Martini and Rossi. Um, the drinks manufacturer, producer, I should say manufacturer, <laughs> producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the team we're talking about is Denmark, who went to Italy and they won what would be the first Women's World Cup. But it, it wasn't given any official tag. It was only recognised by the Italian Football Federation. And it drew incredible crowds. And as a consequence of those crowds, I think Martini also saw some opportunities and were able to sponsor every team to go to the next World Cup in 1971 in Mexico, a year after the great Brazilian team had defeated Italy in that classic final. Uh, The women of Denmark, Mexico, Italy and England would take part in the second World Cup for women. After that, the story goes a bit pear-shaped. Yeah, very, very definitely. Now, now that 1970 team and tournament is, it's quite a, a, a kind of limited um, tournament, I guess, isn't it? It's very um, reflecting the status of the women's game there. And Italy seems to be quite a strong country for uh, women's football at the time. Is that coincidental yeah so italy had set up the women's football association a couple of years before 1917 1968 and this is at the time if you think back graham when we had the incredible gail nushimon talking to us with the dick kerr ladies uh this is about the time where women's football in england is banned Mm. um from 1921 to 1971 and other countries have followed suit in brazil in particular women's football was deemed illegal it went against the <laughs> nature and it was an illegal activity. You know, the, these sad, sad tales of organisations seeing themselves fit enough to stop women from playing football was, was common practice. But fortunately, the Italians had 
seen opportunities um, and through those opportunities, we're able to invite seven, well, they invited eight nations to compete in the first Women's World Cup in 1970. Only seven participated. Czechoslovakia, a country that no longer exists, they were also invited, but they had a few visa issues and they couldn't take part. The idea of women's football being illegal, I mean, that's quite draconian, isn't it? Not since, I do remember hearing many years ago that there was, I think it was uh, Cardiff was due to play. Then maybe it was Bournemouth. It was someone down down on the south coast, and uh, Cardiff's fans had a bit of a, a reputation. Travelling fans had a bit of a reputation at the time. They were banned from attending the game. Uh, <laughs> the local police guy on the radio come on the radio and say, "Anyone heard speaking with a Welsh accent around the ground will be arrested <laughs> and rejected." Which felt that was quite draconian. Oh, it was God. quite a draconian. If you've got like Di and his his wife on on holiday enjoying some some beach life, yeah, exactly. Walking around saying, "No, it's quite lovely. I like it. I think we should move." <laughs> and suddenly getting arrested. <laughs> oh, in the back of the van. <laughs> it's not so good now, is it? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's not good. Not good. So, Denmark in Italy. So how does that tournament go for them? Pretty well from the off, really. So they 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 are clearly have showed us the strongest team, and against quite a backdrop because Danish women's football again was was encountering the same problems that English football was encountering. Brazilian football slightly different, um, where they they were suppressed by the men. The, you know, misogyny was in place in full flow, and it was hard for these ladies to organize themselves because of the the rules that put in place so a lot of the players that went to these world cups in 1970 and 1971 and we should say they are unofficial world cups fifa have attached mm. absolutely nothing of themselves to them on these tournaments so they are <laughs> classified very much unofficial but a lot of the players mm. would have been teenagers so um they would have been teenagers because there would have been no opportunities for them once they got to adulthood so, you know, some of these players that went to the World Cup, and especially, you know, in 1971 in particular, England, they went, they didn't go as England. They actually went as um, mm. Harry Batts Chilton Valley team. Harry Batts, a bit of a, mm. a local hero in the Bucks area. There's not a lot of information. Sadly, he passed away in 1985. But um, he he would organise football teams and uh, for, for women. And uh, I think he... I think he was held in quite high regard with the women he organised teams for, but he ran into some problems with the Women's Football Association when they tried to organise things in 1972. But just to get back, so there was a player that went to the 1971 World Cup for England called Lee Callab, and she was 13 years old. So the women, women, the girls taking part in these World Cups were, you know, between the ages of 13 and 19. And there, there wasn't a lot beyond that because... Clearly, at that point, there was no organised football forum. And it is a strange, strange tournament. So in that, um, there end up being seven teams in the, in the 1970 tournament. And when you look at the game, it's quite curious. So the first, the first uh, game is um, England beat West Germany 6-1. Uh, in fact, they're 5-0 up at half-time. And, um, and then England play the winners of Denmark, the West Germany. So West Germany, having lost to England on the 6th of July, then I think because uh, the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at the time couldn't travel, yeah, yeah. West Germany get a second chance. I mean, they've already lost the first game 5-1, uh, and they're 5-1 and they're 4-0 down at half-time. 
And so Dem- uh, West Germany gets to play Denmark. They have a second crack at it. Uh, they lose that one 6-1. Yeah, <laughs> they're five five one down at half time. It, that doesn't feel the most fun, does it? Two cracks at the tournament, absolutely uh, get totally hammered. It feels like one of those second chance things that you think, yeah, that's great, that's brilliant. Okay, yeah, well, I think we can turn this around. Yeah, we can organise ourselves in this second game. We can get this right. You know, we're back in this. We, you know, we might actually go on and, and win it. But no, they. Um, yeah, they I mean, Den- England must be much better than Denmark. I'm sure we'll, 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 it won't be as hard again. <laughs> Denmark did prove more challenging. Denmark beat England in the semi final two nil and end up playing the host nation, Italy, in uh, Torino for the final, don't they? They did. Final and the third and fourth place fine, uh, playoff between Mexico and England are all based in Torino. And the games spread right through Italy. So it wasn't just the north of Italy. The south of Italy were involved as well. So there were games in Bari. There were games in uh, Napoli, Naples. So the, the, the whole of Italy has embraced this. And Clearly, you've got the backdrop of um, Martini and Rosso who are doing their thing, but they're generously sponsoring and giving the the girls, as they are, not really ladies because they are teenagers, they're giving them exposure. And they're getting crowds. Again, when we've 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 gone down this road with uh, the Dick Kerr mm. lady, 1920s. These football matches are getting crowds and they were getting somewhere between 30, 40, 50,000 for these matches. So, you know, these are not light attendance figures. These are big attendance figures. Denmark win the tournament, though, though actually Mexico are kind of the stars of the show, aren't they? Probably very important to point out Mexico were the only team in this tournament that weren't from Europe. So it's, uh, it's something a bit different and, um, and it's it's quite it's quite bizarre because if you kind of compare this to the backdrop, West Germany. Let's go back to West Germany, 1970, 71, West German football is pretty strong. Bayern Munich are becoming a force in the Champions League. Um, they're just kind of shaping themselves and they're going to dominate. West Germany will go on and win the Euros, the men's team in 72. They go on and win the World Cup in 74. Mexico is hosting a World Cup. It's the first time mm. outside South America and Europe that a World Cup is being hosted in another continent in North America. So there's an appetite for football in these regions. So it it, it kind of doesn't surprise me that much that Mexico's that kind of delicious ingredient that people tune into. And, and, and they beat Austria 9-0. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where I was leading. I just couldn't, couldn't get myself there. <laughs> Mexico win 9-0 they're obviously quite good at football Austria are very very poor again Mexico's achievement then goes some way as you pointed out winning you know 1970s already uh, you know a strong performance from Denmark but it is I think probably the it's really what happens the following year in 1971 that really brings more gravitas to it yeah i think it does so to kind of give you a bit of context when denmark won the first world cup in 1970 i think they when they got home there was there wasn't much of a big celebration i think it was fairly muted it wasn't like a really big popular story you know your your national sports team can win a major tournament albeit unofficial and it still falls underneath the radar and never really really Mm. takes any notice in it uh, but yeah, 71, it really kind of gets a bit more focus. I think there's a lot more money being ploughed in by the um, principal sponsor, which is the drinks company that we've mentioned from Italy. They pay for all the flights. They pay for all the travel expenses. They pay for the hotels. They pay for the kits. 
they paint the goalposts pink and white, which seems a bit bizarre. But extraordinary. They were trying yeah. to reach out to a more feminine market um, at the time. That made made sense. Don't seem to make a lot of sense right now. <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot bigger, and the crowds really do turn up in serious numbers. This is uh, held in Mexico, so um, so a year after the 1970 World Cup. And I mean, what is quite curious is the tournament itself is very, it's quite good, but qualifying remains something of a of of a, of a lottery. So, for example, Argentina qualify out of a group of of Argentina. <laughs> Everyone else pulls out. Yeah, <laughs> England qualified through a group of England, from what I can tell. Despite <laughs> it's still a struggle to get the teams together, despite probably indicative of of the time. It's it's also they they get no support. I mean, whilst they've got a a, a, a bona fide sponsor that's willing to put the money in, there's no real support. The associations aren't other than the Italian. Football Association, I think the Mexican mm. Football Association, they're not getting any support. They're getting no support from their, their home nation um, in terms of their participation, which you know presents challenges. So you, these things take organisation. And when, when you don't get your the backing mm. of your football association, it's going to give you initial challenges that you probably didn't want. But so yeah, it must be it must be tricky to organise these things when you've got certain people that don't want to help and certain people that don't want you to go there. Yet, um, once they're there, the interest in the tournament attendances were extraordinary. So the opening match, the, the Mexico-Argentina at the Azteca, reportedly 100,000 in the yeah. ground to watch them. Um, unreal. It is unreal. It's incredible that any sporting occasion could get that hmm. amount of people interested to pay money in. I mean, I don't think it was particularly expensive. I think they were talking, you know, it's only a few pesos that they were paying, but nevertheless, to take mm. the time out and watch all that football when it's in an unofficial guise is, yeah, it's quite incredible. So, you know, as the host tournament and host nation and with their their kudos high after after their performance in the last one, Mexico, really one of the, one of the favourites for this tournament. They're in a group with Argentina and England and... Um, now, England don't make it, do they? No, England lose both games. So they lose 4-1 in the first game to uh, Argentina, and then they also lose to Mexico. I think it's important to point out that this really wasn't England. This was They were called England. But this, mm. this, is, this is a team represented of teenagers uh, put together by a guy who we've already mentioned, Harry Bat, uh, and they're Chilton Valley. Mm. That's the team. So this is a guy that's organising football in his local area. So it's not representative of the best football players in England at that time, because at that particular time, England had just just literally come out of a ban from the FA, mm. uh, a 50-year ban mm. women's football. Um, yes, yeah. So it's, it's no big surprise that there, there, there wasn't organised football, even though women were organising themselves and they were playing football. Mexico and Argentina qualify on one side. Denmark are in a group with Italy and France. Both Denmark and uh, Italy beat France in those opening rubbers, so they go through uh, to the semi-finals. So we get to the semi-finals. Mexico beat Italy, uh, so the host nation make their way through, and Denmark playing Argentina, and it's very comfortable for Denmark, isn't it? Yeah, they win five 0 against Argentina. I think Argentina were a bit sore about the whole thing as well. Um, I didn't think they took the defeat really well, but when you've been beat five 0 by the current holders, 
they are the best team in the tournament, then you just got to lick your wounds and take your medicine, I think. This sets up the great final between Denmark and Mexico. But before that, of course, we have to have the not only the third and fourth place playoff, we have the fifth and sixth place playoff between England and France. Yeah, this, this, I mean, football doesn't do this very often, but other sports do. Hockey does this. If you think um, of the Olympic hockey tournament, they they will play off right down to the last place. And it's very inclusive. I, I quite like it. It's kind of making everyone mm. feel a part of it. And, you know, there, there are, there's a brilliant article on the on the BBC called The Lost Lionesses, and it's really worth a read. We'll share the link in social. And there's and these players were recognised in the um, the Euros recently as well. Um, so some of these mm. players were recognised finally after being unknown for so many years. And, you know, some of the players still have the medals they picked up in that fifth and sixth place playoff. And they're very proud of it. And they should be very proud of it. So, you know, for that story alone, I think it's great that, they did decide to keep the tournament inclusive and get everyone playing off. Yeah. We, we for, for England, I think it was still not the position they Sixth. wanted. <laughs> no. um, so Denmark have their shot at retaining their title uh, against the holders, Mexico, at the Azteca Stadium. Uh, from what I can tell... It's just the 110,000 people in watching that one. It's quite incredible because if you go back a year in 1970 when Brazil played Italy at the Azteca in the Men's World Cup, the attendance, I think, was 108,000. So the women's unofficial World Cup between Mexico, I think being a host nation probably influences the crowd a little bit. Mm. Um, and Denmark, mm-hmm. the current world champions. So you've got your dream matchup in the final. But nevertheless, 110,000 is is an incredible number. And it really does show that women's there is an appetite for women's football back in 1970. We know there's an appetite for women's football in 1920. But these these ladies have been up against it because not everyone wants to see women playing football at that particular period. Absolutely. Denmark come out uh, champions. They win 3-0 in no small part to a hat-trick by... Uh, Susanna Augustuson and so Susanna Augustuson who scores the hat trick that's the Jeffers as a 15 year old which is quite quite impressive and as a 15 year old that is at the start of her career she plays a huge amount for football in Italy uh, over the corresponding years so uh, she joins Bologna in 1974 and she she finishes her career in 1995 you know, this is kind of twenty four years after scoring that that hat trick for Denmark in a World Cup final. Twenty four years later, she's still scoring, and during her career, she scored something like I think it's six hundred goals. She was uh, over a twenty year period uh, playing in at least top league. So, really, quite an impressive effort. It is an incredible effort, but it's also quite a tragic tale because. If you look at her international career, she's played four games and scored four goals. And it all happened at the very beginning of her career. So as an international, because of things beyond her control, she's not able to have an international football career playing for her country. Uh, she has an amazing career, as you say, in Italy. And I think there's a contender for one of the teams she played off for, for your favourite team names, which is a team called um, Alaska Lecce, which, um, oh. yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty good. I don't know you come up with Alaccia Lecce. Lecce in the, uh, the south of Italy um, and Alaska yeah. in the 
north of the United States. Uh, brilliant combo. <laughs> I can't imagine she's a, a young teenager, 15-year-old, scoring a hat-trick in the World Cup final that doesn't get talked about because it's unofficial, uh, not like Jeff Hurst, is denied a, a, a football career at the highest level playing international football because there is no organised football for women because it's frowned upon. Are there any further attempts at World Cups after this? <laughs> well, in the 80s, you get these little World Cups. I think Italy again with England try to garner and get stuff going, but um, they're, they're tournaments that are not really worth talking about because you need the authorities behind you. You need your football associations backing you, which women have always struggled to get, and you need FIFA and UEFA backing you. Now, there was a bit of a tragic tale. I think maybe another story for another time. It's worth looking up. Harry Bat and Chilton Valleys, the ladies. So he was the guy that put these teams together. And I think he's held in quite high regard. But yeah, it wasn't until 1991 that FIFA started to kind of put their weight behind women's football. So they tried a World Cup in China in 1988. That went well. Again, the crowds were massive. And then in 1991, they kind of helped organise women's football but they didn't put their name to it. It was, it was called something ridiculous, like the M&M's Cup Women's World Championships, <laughs> something crazy. Now, if you go to FIFA, they'll tell you that that World Cup is theirs and it was always theirs. But at the time, it wasn't. It got very little backing. It was played in China and it was a big success. And it, it allowed the platform, deservedly so, for women's football to grow. And here we are today. The Women's Football World Cup kicking off in Australia and New Zealand. And we've got 32 teams competing for the first time ever. So Oof. it feels like women's football is finally, rightfully, at the top table in football. It's getting the support it should have had many, many years ago. But it's taken a long time. And it's a shame that stories like Denmark, who we're talking about now, who organised themselves and played in the World Cup, along with Mexico, Italy, England... West Germany, probably don't want to talk about that too much, and Austria even less. Um, but the fact that these nations were able to organise themselves and go to tournaments, it, it needs to be forefront. It needs to be part of the history of the women's game. It can't be like hidden away as a, as a dirty tale because they were uh, oppressed at that particular moment off the soapbox. So, so where where do you rank that Denmark 70-71 World Cup winning team, Jamie? Well, I think it kind of makes sense to put them in the not great, but without them, we won't be where we are today because I think logically that makes total sense. But I can't help kind of steering myself and I think I'm probably suffering from a bit of bias on this, sticking them in the edge of greatness hmm. because they organised themselves at a time against angst where it wasn't welcome and they proved to the authorities there was an appetite with the crowds and they kind of flirted on the edge and they were patient enough to wait until times were in a position where they can then go on and flourish into touches and all-time greats. Mm -hmm. And we've got women's football teams that hit those brackets right now. So I think, even though I think not great, but without them we were where we are today, it should be the right place for them. I'm going to put them in edge of greatness because I'm just feeling a bit biased about it. If it was just 1970, then I couldn't go with you. But I think the second year, the heading to Mexico and and actually from a football achievement, going out and winning in front of 110,000 fans in Mexico at the Aztec, that's quite impressive, isn't it? And it proves it wasn't just a, a flash in the pan 
I think I'm with you on that. I think it's a, I think it's a reasonable call. So I think there we have it. Ted Mark's women's football team, 1970-71. Edge of greatness. So that's all we have time for this week. A reminder, the full podcast returns in all its glory on Thursday, the 3rd of August. In the meantime, look out for our weekly pre-season friendlies. And a reminder, you can contact us on all our social channels and we'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, like, tell a friend and pass on our details. And we'll speak again soon.